Welcome to Vase, a podcast about weird stuff. I'm Peter C. Hine, and joining me as always is my longtime friend, co-host, and possible time-traveling tulpa. His multitudinous talents put the range into high strangeness, and his can-do attitude puts the I'm in into liminality. Uh, yeah, I had to stretch for that one. He's a natural anomaly that must surely be being monitored from outer space by NASA, and if not, why not? It's Mr. Stephen James Buckley. Wow, I hope I can... Every time, I never know what to say with these these intros, but they're always fantastic. Um, I think that I spend probably about two-thirds of my time planning these episodes on just writing these intros now. It's like peaking yeah. early, like very much peaking early. And that's good, and the thing is, I don't even have to say anything about you. It's a very one-sided friendship, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I have I have three things, three things which I'd like to say before we start tonight. The first thing is, I have a cold, so I feel quite unwell and I sound like shit, so apologies for that. Uh, the second thing is, I'm rocking a new microphone setup tonight. So if I sound different, it's not because I've been replaced. It's not because Hein has replaced me with a superior model. Um, it is, yeah, it's, it's just because it's a different mic, so my voice might sound slightly different. And the third thing is, we have Nathan Paul Isaac from Penny Royal with us tonight. So, you know, <laughs> obviously, if anyone's been following us for a while, you'll know that um, the Penny Royal was probably the thing which started us off with vase this it was the the catalyst it was the spark you know i i met up with hein and said you need to check this podcast out he listened to it and then it was yeah we need to do something we need we've got (laughs) we've got work to do yeah (laughs) so yeah nathan we're really pleased to have you here man thank you guys so much for having me here i'm super excited about tonight so Oh, thanks so much for joining us. I mean, as Buckley said, we, we've never really been embarrassed to say that Penny Royal was where it all started for us, you know. Um, and I'm I'm such a huge fan of, of Penny Royal, the Penny Royal podcast. Um, I think that I've mentioned it to you um, when we were sort of corresponding by email. Um, but I credit Penny Royal very much with kind of changing the course of my life in a way because it kind of cast my mind wide open to considering like the occult and the phenomena and synchronicity in a way that I never had before. And it kind of made me curious and inspired and it helped me to find kind of my own spiritual and magical practice introduced me to loads and loads of people who I now consider to be good friends and ultimately it's what led us to be here today doing this Um, and I'm sure that I'm not the only person who's benefited from you guys doing this to such an extent. Man thank you you really don't know how much that means like when we were emailing back and forth and and you were saying some of this I was like just floored and, and honored, you know, I mean, I, obviously when I did the project, I, I was hoping that people would be inspired to, to look at the places they lived in and, and, and sort of examine some of this stuff. But it, it just means so much to, to hear that it actually meant, you know what I mean? That it, it meant something it did, you know, that, that the work means something. So thank you. I really did. I'm, I'm, you know, it seems to have touched a lot of people across the sort of occult community and, and beyond that as well. So Penny Royal um, itself, it's kind of an exploration of weird happenings in Somerset, Kentucky, uh, looking starting off sort of centered around the Kentucky anomaly, the Mammoth Cave system, and the unusually high rate of murders and crime in the area. But then it kind of spreads out to become this expansive and completely mind-boggling web of interconnected conspiracy theories, folklore, geomancy, synchronicity, chaos and ritual magic, uh, gematria, and eventually some fairly serious speculation as to the nature of the phenomena and the nature of reality itself. I mean, it's really kind of epic in every sense of the word and real pleasure to listen to. To. It's 
beautifully written, it's beautifully researched. How did you start kind of putting Penny Royal together? Oh, man. Really, I, I did it sort of, Well, you know, I've always been fascinated by, you know, high strangeness and weird, you know, weird stories. I love collecting folklore. Um, grew up in deep, like in Appalachia, where stories were, you know, sort of the currency of, of sorts. That and Jesus, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, I was always surrounded by stories, love stories, love telling stories and hearing stories told by people. And, and so was collecting that folklore, collecting strange stories. I loved the weird Appalachian stories that I would hear. And um, so anyway, you know, I went to, went to college at Transylvania University, which I think is funny in retrospect, you know, just because it's Transylvania, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but, you know, and even that ended up having a lot of weird synchronicities uh, to the later story of Penny Royal. But, uh, but you know, I ended up in Somerset as a transplant with my wife and – you know, I never thought I would go back to a small town and I ended up in another small town and I just started digging into the folklore and, and, you know, my neighbors, a lot of this was spurred by my neighbors telling me about a cult. Right. And it was like, I, I've got to look at this and see what's going on. And the more that I dove into those stories of, you know, local murders and, you know, the kind of stuff that everybody has in their, their town probably, but uh, these were exceptionally weird. But it was like the more that I pulled at the strings and the more that I dug, the weirder the stuff was that I found. And uh, and it just after that, it just, I don't know, there was just so many stories. And the stories all seemed so interrelated that, um, that there seemed to be a structure underlying all of it. Uh, and, and I think that speaks to the the wider phenomena that we all talk about. Um, but definitely just on a local level, I, I was very, I don't know. It, it just it was just amazing to to find these things. And then every time I thought that that's it, there's no way there's anything else, I'd end up finding some other thing. Or something would reveal itself, right? Um, just at the right time, just when we might be drifting away from the story, it felt like we were pulled back into it. Uh, and some of it was comical, you know. Some of it was just so, uh, so strange that it it was just laughable, and and seemed seemed absurd. And uh, I, you know, in terms of like like hearing you talk about it and and the way that it spiraled out into all these other sort of strands, threads, strands and threads, um, I've always been worried about that because I'm like. You know, people have criticized me by saying, or criticized the story by saying, oh, man, you you know, is it really, you know, uh, are all of these things connected, right? And I've thought that myself, too. But so many things, especially when we got into, like, the Chuck Hayes stuff that tied to, tied into Danny Casolaro and those things, I couldn't believe, you know, that's a, that's a major narrative in the conspiracy community, right? And it, it really did lead back to Somerset, right? You know, and there were so many... Things like that that I I couldn't really wrap my mind around, and, and that's really been the journey of the story is trying to make sense of all of those things and and why you know, th- those things are centered here. You know, I I think that the way in which it expands and snowballs as it does it is kind of in the grand tradition of these chronicles of high strangeness. Because I'm on my third listen to Penny Royal now, and I think that it's 
up there with the classics. You know, I, th- I, I would say, as far as Chronicles of High Strangeness goes, it's up there with the Mothman Prophecies or Cosmic Trigger or Sinister Forces. And what I find interesting, I think, is that, say, uh, Mothman was 1975, Cosmic Trigger 77. These were in the aftermath of the Vietnam War. Uh, you had the Watergate. You had the whole thing with Nixon. The, you get Sinister Forces coming in about 2005, you know, it's, and that Sinister Forces is very much that paranoia of post 9-11. Penny Royal emerged in, what was it, 21st of October 2020. So you were right in there, in, in, in you're emerging into this devastation of the covid pandemic which i know that uh, over in the us you were hit by this very hard as we were in the uk and it just seems very interesting in the way that these sort of disturbances lead to this sort of uh, i don't know th- these sort of epic chronicles of phenomena like this C- can you speak to that at all yeah definitely i mean i would also add uh, that it was post trump you know, a lot of the stuff that came yeah. out of the story yeah. uh, that I, you know, I didn't intend on to, you know, intend to talk about fascism. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, when I was looking at, at Somerset, it wasn't, you know, on a local level, something I thought we would end up in, but it just kept popping up again and again, especially with like the James Shelby Downard stuff and uh, the weird documents we got. So I, I do think um, there's, there's definitely, I, I, I agree with you that, 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 that these types of events that happen um, that kind of shift world consciousness will produce, I mean, think of all the other stories that have been produced in the wake of all of, you know, of, of COVID too. Um, I, a running joke, which is sort of a sick joke, what, that people have mentioned is the idea of panic, right? And pan and the panic that was caused by COVID, but also the panic that was caused by all the crazy January the 6th stuff, right? And, uh, uh, and, and the Trump era. So um, even the QAnon, <laughs> the QAnon shaman, right? The, the, the people that were trying to connect that guy with the horns, right? To, uh, to the symbol of pain. So I do, I definitely think that, that when these types of things happen, you know, I, I mean, it definitely pushed me, changed the story, really. I mean, you, you can't help but not be changed by it. Um, and, and it sort of sent us off in a, in a whole new trajectory. But, um, but yeah, definitely. I, I, I hadn't thought about that in terms of like the Mothman and some of these other, uh, other pieces, but the, I think absolutely it, it influenced those events influenced the storytelling and what we were finding and, and the way that we were engaging with people that, that was kind of strange too. You know, when I started Penny Royal, it was two years of interviews, two years of research with people locally. And then, when COVID hit, suddenly I couldn't interview people in person anymore, right? I couldn't go out and get these interviews. And so um, things became a lot more insulary. And, and I was freaking out too, man. I was, I was you know, at, in, at the beginning of this, I mean, I was losing my mind because I still had to go to work, you know, and, and it was, I know I was, I was pretty freaked out. You know, we were in one of those essential industries. And so I had to deal with people every day, you know, while all this stuff was happening. So, um, so it was kind of, kind of freaking, but yeah, yeah, it definitely influenced the story heavily. So. Cause I know one of our uh, previous guests, uh, Mr. Bob Freeman, who is a wonderful man. And he's, he's mentioned how the, the pandemic in a way did actually sort of, did have kind of one good side to it, which was that it it did kind of allow a space in which people did start engaging with things like magic and what have you, um, which 
almost kind of fits in a similar way. You know, it's just a it's a it's a, a, a sort of a, a space for brain change. Well, you know, something to that I would add, and, and and some of the you know questions that we were going back and forth on via email too. You know, whether or not doing a podcast can or, or or producing a piece of content can affect people or affect reality, right? I definitely think Hellier is one of those pieces that has, you know, affected so many people. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, there's a, a ton of, you know, a huge list of things like that. But, um, you know, Cosmic Trigger definitely affected a lot of people, I think, too, um, and sort of changed how they th- think of things. But, you know, I was thinking about it today and, and it dawned on me that really media, mass media and television and film has been able to affect reality for, you know, since the beginning, right? It's, it's the business of affecting reality, of changing reality, of altering reality. But new technologies, right? Especially podcasting and streaming and YouTube and being able to make your own films. Suddenly now people like us can create content, right? Can tell stories that are able to inspire and are able to shape reality in the same ways that these big companies have always held the power over. Right. And I was just thinking about, I was like, you know, it's, it's like, um, it's like folk technology, some, you know, or like folk magic, right? Like the the ability to affect reality that was controlled by the ivory tower. Now the people are able to to create the same sort of effects, right, and have the same same power in their hands. And and I, I think you know, podcasting and being able to tell stories, um, absolutely, and, and like Hellier and, and any type of content like that it opens up new avenues of thinking that, that people maybe weren't familiar with, that didn't have access to, that, that other people didn't want people to have, you know, didn't want them to ask those questions. And, yeah. uh, and there's a lot of power in being able to tell stories and ask questions, you know. You could say that the same thing would apply to QAnon as well, though, couldn't you? It's a double-edged sword, of, isn't it? Yeah, because you've created, you, again, you've got the, the, the kind of manipulation of reality and the telling of a story, um, it's it's almost like the yeah a double edged sword. It's I think it's it's kind of about being discerning, isn't it? You know you've got to choose because what what you kind of like on the edge of what you were saying, Nathan. You kind of getting to a point where kind of truth is being manipulated, or you can find yourself in a pocket of truth. And it's really interesting that you say that in the way of television. You know before because television was a perfect example of how that can be done, but you were limited, uh, particularly in the early days, to what was on the channels, you know. I know it's a lot different now, but podcasting is so wild and free, you know. There's so much of what you're listening to. You can find yourself in a complete sort of bubble of your own interest and so on. And I think that, as with all of this stuff, as which I think is really important to Penny Royal, it's the um the, the ability to be able to discern what's good information from what's bad information and i think that's something that you guys do really well thanks yeah yeah i absolutely agree definitely like when you think about q and think about how powerful that was right i mean there were uh you know people sitting at home that suddenly were radicalized and, and that that's a crazy thing too is is the use of the technology to spread the you know memes are a very powerful thing, right? I mean, I think a lot of people sort of scoff at the idea that 
technology could be like a spell, right? Or could have some type that an idea could infect someone, right? And, uh, but it is true, you know, that those are real things. And it's not an esoteric concept. It's a concept that since uh, what uh, the medium is the message, you know, came along that, that you, that you can control the message. And so um, it, to me, it was terrifying, you know, you start looking at this research and you find that there were, uh, you know, Derry and my, my research partner that helps me with, you know, doing all this stuff and producing the podcast, co-producer on the podcast, he, uh, we do a lot of design for companies, a lot of data mining and data research and develop apps and things. And he was working on a lot of Twitter uh, apps that were sort of, this was before Twitter shut off the pipeline, right? <laughs> before the uh, Cambridge Analytica, you could just harvest so much data, right? And we did harvest a lot. You know, there's just, you, you scraped a lot of stuff. You try to analyze the data and, I remember after that he he lost access to Twitter, but before he did, he had looked at these networks of uh, of accounts, and they were strange, right? And then the later research did come out that that showed that these were probably Russian bot networks. You know, the Wagner uh, group had these uh, troll farms, right? That that were that were using these uh, Twitter accounts to radicalize people, right? And there was a study that was done by another um, group, a Freedom of Information group, and they found that these AI that were um, communicating the Q message, right? All these people were using these Q accounts. Um, They were all tied back to a single group. And, you know, there's the documentary about the guys that were sort of behind everything and that, that they were using a vast network to push these ideas that looked like kernels, right? But then they would snowball into these effects of radicalizing, you know, someone in the health and wellness community, right? Or in in different, just different areas that you wouldn't think there would be any effect, but suddenly they were radicalized. They believed that there were reptilians in the basement of a pizza parlor, right? Um, (laughs) You know, I was just thinking about the video of the woman that just surfaced who freaks out that the guy beside her is a reptilian, right? Or a shapeshifter. And I thought, she probably at some point was radicalized by this concept, right? I mean, and then she freaked out. She thought that, you know, I, I hope the guy comes forward and <laughs> he's just, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was in my hoodie. I'm not a, I'm not a reptilian, right? But uh, I, I th- immediately when she, when I watched that video, I thought, this is someone who was radicalized by this network, right? It's crazy, isn't it? Because there's never ever been a time in history where, uh, people can be influenced in this way and in the way that information can be pushed to the individual completely unregulated. And I think that uh, it's kind of outpaced our ability to handle that in a social or psychological situation because we're used to, particularly in, in the UK, we're used to the, um, you know, like there's the, the, the BBC were always like, um, you know, supposed to be unbiased and everything was supposed to be fact-checked and so on, you know, and there was a certain amount of regulation in the mainstream media. It could be manipulated and so on, but not on the scale of social media, you know, which is in everybody's hand, in everybody's house, kids, old people, everyone in between are being influenced by these ideas and no one is really has an overview of exactly what is being pushed out there to people. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I'll probably sound like a broken record, but you know, cybernetics comes to play, you know, in, <laughs> yeah. in all of this, because exactly what we're talking about in terms of uh, people being in a space where they're being served up the same content, right? They engage with something and then they get trapped in a loop. And then the system thinks, well, you, they enjoy this, so we'll just keep serving this up to them, right? And the more they interact with it, the stronger the the grasp on the person becomes where that's the only thing they're receiving, right? And I think that happened with the the QAnon movement. It's it's happening in other ways too, but that now is is foundational to the technology that's being used in social media, right? When you're on Facebook and you pause for one second, you look away and don't continue to scroll, whatever's on your screen, you'll begin to get served up all of those things because it thinks you paused that you wanted to see that, right? And and so it's like now more than ever, we live in a world of feedback loops. Like everything is a feedback loop right now. And... Um, and but I think things have always been a feedback loop. You know that's in a way that's what reality is. Is a, it's a series of systems and subsystems that are all networked together. You know, and, and I think we'd mentioned some of uh, you know Gregory Bateson's research, uh, who was you know an anthropologist uh, and who was involved in the early Macy conferences that really established. Uh, you know, cybernetics, which, you know, before penny roll, I didn't know any of this stuff, right. You know, and, and being exposed to it, it just blew me away. I mean, I, I've like, if anyone was listening to penny roll and having that experience of like, Holy shit, I've never heard of this before. Right. I was having that experience, right. (laughs) You know, in real time, I was like, what is this? And then I would look at it and I'm like, man, this leads into this, which leads into this. And and it just unfolded, you know, and and but really, I mean, the baits and stuff too. Our first encounter with uh, cybernetics was really through like Von Forster and some of these early guys. I hadn't even hit Bateson until uh, honestly, I was researching John C. Lilly's work with dolphins and oh, dolphin yeah. consciousness, right? And the the dolphin dolphinarium, the dolphin house story where. Um, the woman has sex with a dolphin, and yeah, yeah. the dolphin on LSD, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. These, like, yeah. like John, John C. Lilly is in a float tank, right upstairs. Yeah. He's trying to psychically talk to or link her with the dolphin, right? He's on LSD. He's given the dolphins LSD. Well, then I find out that the lab director was Gregory Bateson. This guy yeah. that found it was one of the founders of cybernetics. And then Carl Sagan shows up, you know, and Carl <laughs> Sagan's the one that's like, these guys are dosing everybody with LSD, tells NASA. <laughs> and uh, what's his name? Uh, Drake that created the Drake equation who helped them get the funding. And they were in, they called themselves the Society of the Dolphin. Right. And wow. uh, um, the whole, you know, equation to find out if there was life on, on another, you know, in the universe. Yeah, but yeah, the, the fact that Bateson was involved, I was like, man, this is crazy. Because think of all the other things he was involved in, and then John C. Lilly too, right? You get into the whole echo and the Earth uh, control, coincidence control. Yeah. Have you seen um, Have you seen John C. Lilly's website? 
I don't it, know if I've it, looked at uh, oh, man, oh, it's so, amazing. Isn't it really sparse? It looks like GeoCities, right? Like yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it's basically, I think it was made in about 2002 and then he died. I think 2002, 2003, he died and they just preserved his website exactly as it was. So rather than updating it, they just kept it like as it was and it just looks like GeoCities. It's got the lovely little animations and stuff. It's It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Doesn't it take you, when you go to it, to not the homepage, but a different page, and you have to go back through Yeah, something like that. It's, but it's worth it's it. not intuitive at all. Yeah. yeah. The, I mean, the only reason it. I said that is so that Hein puts it in the show notes, <laughs> and then lots of people can witness how beautiful oh. this, this it's, website it, is. It, it, I did see it where it had the, uh, the map of the Dolphinarium, right? Um, yeah. And, and you can see the different rooms that they flooded in, in that mansion down there. But also the guy that created Hyperlinks was his lab assistant. And wow. um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. I didn't even think we were going to go in this direction. But, <laughs> but that guy's still alive. I want to reach out to him and uh, talk yeah. to him. Apparently he's like, season three. Get him, get him on. <laughs> right, right. But, but again, it's, it's those kinds of things. It's precisely that where all of these people who were so influential in so many different ways, right, um, and in different, you know, sectors and and ways of thinking they all came together and you're like why in the world were all of these people think of all the different events right not just in uh you know paranormal stuff or or this this type of research we're talking about consciousness but even people like uh you know musicians you know that were all together at some point and, and it seems to be something has drawn them together in that moment uh to produce an effect that's going to affect all these other people. And, and again, I think that's evidence of cybernetics and this, this emergence in systems, right? Um, so, I, and that's something too, you know, cybernetics, I think, explains tulpas. It explains egregores that, that, you know, really our lives are composed of these little loops and they happen a million times a day and we, we don't even notice them, Right. We just there's a feedback loop and we just move on with our lives. It's the ones that we do notice, right? That we feed into, that we feed information into, that then feel like synchronicities, right? Um, Jim Perry talks about this on Euphemet sometimes that uh, synchronicities aren't like duplications or repeating moments. They're po- they're moments that rhyme with a prior moment, right? And so there's this like familiarity. And, and that's what you're responding to emotionally is the familiarity of that moment. And that's what produces the synchronicity. And, and I really think that that what they're describing is this feedback loop, right? It's never the same moment. It's always changed a little bit every time you interact with it, right? But each time that you do and it loops back, it becomes more and more powerful. And sometimes we follow those loops deeper and deeper into addictions and all sorts of things, right? And then sometimes we move on from them. Sometimes other people get involved in those loops and other people, like with the blue balloons or, you know, like just different things will, will begin to suddenly everyone's seeing 11-11, right? Or, or uh, 23, the number 23 begins to appear everywhere, right? But if they get sufficiently large enough, they can create tulpas, right? Or on a societal scale, I think they create egregores, right? In terms of like social media, you know, one of the examples I gave was that that people are able to look in, you know, they can see the big data, they can see the shape of people interacting with 
Beyonce, right? And they can see this shape, you know, in data that is, you know, Jay-Z. And those things are communicating with each other on a whole other level of networking. And then they're sending feedback and messages and information back to the people that are feeding into them, right? And it becomes this vast system. And in many ways, those entities are egregores, right? And you can scale it all the way down to our own lives and the way that we create these sort of topic entities, I think. But again, it's always through these feedback loops. Uh, I think Greg Newkirk has talked about um, hauntings, right? That people will experience hauntings and he tells them to get a new TV, like be distracted by something else. Stop feeding into this loop, right? Because that's the thing. It's like when you're not paying attention to it, it goes away, which means you're a part of it, right? You know, it's like um, something recently that I was looking at too was cursed soil. Can a place be cursed without human beings interacting with it? You know, before there are human observers, is a place, is a landscape in a state of nature, right? That's always seeking homeostasis. But then humans come, human observers, they build a castle, they murder a bunch of people in the castle, right? And then suddenly the land seems cursed. But, you know, has there ever been an instance where people have interacted with a place that's cursed that didn't have any, that was just a state of nature, right? That was just a jungle without human beings telling the stories creating this this thing to to feed into you know I, mean, I don't know i mean that's one of the things that i've started to to look into is this idea of curses but again I, I think it all speaks to this idea that it takes a human observer and it takes this feedback loop and then the continued feeding of information into it to to produce these effects it's what magic is right um you know no matter the system or the way you view it right the lens um it still involves someone having to feed information into this system that's that's created, right? Yeah, I mean, th- this was linking, I think, into what we were talking about by email, which was how I'd come to an idea of how divination would work. Um, because what, what I'd thought when I was listening through to Penny Royal and some of the extended audio where you go deeper into these cybernetics ideas is the idea of randomness and chaos, you know, like, because that is the state that information is in when it's kind of general, you know, like it's just lying around, you know, you've got, I mean, on a huge scale, you've got the, 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 the sort of microwave energy of, of the universe, you know, that's always out there in, in static form. But within that, of course, is the pattern for all of all of the information that we could ever dream of, you know, but it's just disordered and it's chaotic, you know, it's not been put into any system. And what I'd been thinking was about divination, was that uh, the ingredients of divination, you, which is just the most basic form of magic, I think, that you could probably do, um, is, you know, you need, you need a source of chaos or randomization, and then you need a system to put on top of that. And then you need to interpret what the system says about the chaos, you know. So if you're saying the, like the I Ching, for example, you either throw the sticks or you toss the coins and you introduce that randomization in chaos. And then you have a system, you know, that if it lands heads up, you, you put in one, you know, one broken line or one unbroken line or whatever, and you build up a hexagram. And then you have a, a, an interpretation of what that hexagram would mean. And you kind of force that onto the chaos. And I think that the effect of, of putting an, some sort of outside order onto chaos can draw out these sort of information systems. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've loved when you sent me that. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like this is, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, I definitely 
chaos and and randomness. Randomness seems to be so important to all of this, uh, especially you know Claude Shannon's information theory. I mean, information is really based in trying to uh, separate the signal from the noise. You know, I mean, it really is this this idea that that things are always being communicated. And, uh, you know, it, but it took randomness. I mean, he uses chaos and he uses this mathematics of, of trying to basically solve randomness to, to create a stronger signal or not, right? Um, you know, we talk about Aoife too uh, in Penny Royal. And the fact that, I mean, that was a weird synchronicity that Dan Dutton had had the experience, the Aoife experiences, right? And for forever he's telling me all that stuff. And then later, you know, deep into the story, it's like, oh, yeah, well, this is the basis of binary code, right? And I'm like, bullshit, right? No way. And and then I start digging into it. Sure enough, there's tons of research, you know, tons of people that that, that have looked into that. And so then you, you carry that out. And it's like, well, if that's the case and if, if – cryptography is based on all these things and it's like we're using this folk divination system to communicate right now right and um but yeah i I think definitely the randomization and chaos right and and really chaos and i was thinking about this today too before we got on here um that it it really involves in like like you mentioned in the email increasing complexity right that um the world is the universe is always moving toward increasing complexity and um and it's like thermodynamics right it's it and there's a it's it's not exactly the same thing but there's definitely a connection between thermodynamics and the increase of chaos in in, in an information system right um, yeah for sure yeah i mean they're, they're both measures of disorder shannon entropy and thermodynamic entity both measures of disorder aren't they yeah yeah so so but um I think that um, that when you're looking at the phenomena, when you're looking at magic and all these things, that um, it is always trying to understand the complexity without reducing it, right? And as soon as you call it something, right, or give it a name, it reduces it. Um, Jack Hunter, that just you know, he uh, professor of uh, para uh, paranormal anthropology, sort of. Um, he just put out the deep weird. Do you have deep weird? I have that right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, yeah, he and I uh, spoke and discussed some of this, and he's going to be in season three of, of Oh Alien. yeah, excellent. Um, and and so we we talked about that. We talked about Gregory Bateson because you know Bateson was trying to discuss you know his big contribution was systems theory right that there were that in nature reality is a series of systems and network systems and it was so basically he's creating an ecology right of systems and an ecology of of, i always thought of ecology as being something to do with nature right in science right i was always like oh these are just like living systems but it's not you know and there can be an ecology of a phenomenology, an ecology of networks, an ecology of all, anything, right? That that are all interdependent on each other. There's sort of an ecosystem, and so Bateson was trying to figure out a way to to describe phenomena that were increasingly complex, but without reducing them down to a category, right? And um, and I think that th- when I read that, I was like, man, this is exactly what we're all 
trying to do. We're all having these discussions. We're all trying to figure out what the phenomena is or this, this what's producing the high strangeness or these experiences, the experiences of the uncanny that we're having. And every time that we talk about it, and you know, sometimes people just, you know, put their stake in the ground, plant that flag, and they're like, this is what it is, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but we've got to resist that. And that's what uh, Jack Hunter was saying. That's what Bateson, but Jack Hunter pointed out to me that Bateson in the end said, uh, dis- finally decided that, that uh, the, there was nothing that was paranormal, right? He talks about it some uh, in terms of phenomena, but ultimately he's like, no, it, you know, there's nothing strange about the, the universe, right? It's all explainable. But I think his theories behind trying to understand this and understand magic uh, and trying to to look at, at an ever-increasing, increasingly chaotic world and a uh, more complex world and trying to understand it without doing that is, is, is what we all need to be looking at, right? I think it, I think it helps inform the discussion. Uh, and, I, and Jack Hunter's trying to do that with a lot of the work that he's doing now. feels like what you were saying about you know when they plant the flag and say this is what it is it almost feels like as soon as that happens you've destroyed any chance you have of, of being able to understand it you know because you've kind of eliminated so much information you've sort of destroyed your chance of actually being able to understand it by closing your mind off to every other explanation right well and and this is something too uh, i'm a huge fan of of um Deleuze and Guattari, uh, the philosophers that wrote A Thousand Plateaus, right? And uh, Capitalism and Schizophrenia. And when I was getting a philosophy degree, that that was, you know, immediately that's what I gravitated to. You know, there are all those stories that they wrote it on LSD, which they've denied, but, you know, one wonders because it definitely seems like something <laughs> that was written on LSD. Right? Uh, it is, it's, it's very unapproachable, you know? I think a lot of people, uh, it's, it's very postmodern in that sense, but... A, th- a thousand plateaus, right? Co- the plateaus comes from Gregory Bateson. He's the one that they based the whole idea that there are all these plateaus. But um, but their point was to look at these things, and that's why they get into this whole concept of the body without organs, right? Is that when you look at ever increasingly complex phenomena, you can't. It's it's sort of like not looking directly at it. You have yeah. to trace it. Right. So it's like you want to trace the shape of what the thing is that you're interacting with, but you can't see it. Like you can't look at it. You can't call it something. You can't give it a representation because as soon as you do, you, you've seen the wrong thing. Right. So all you can do is try to trace the thing and they call it tracing. Right. And, and, and I really, I, it's like, 
way out there philosophical concepts, but I think it's more than ever prescient to this discussion of what we're all interacting with, you know? Yeah, I mean, it almost feels like what you're saying about not looking directly at it. Because if you look directly at it, then it's like a group of people in a shiny metal saucer that have come down to give you your uh, pancakes or something, you know, like like it's, suddenly it's something so ridiculous that it makes absolutely no sense to anyone, you know. And and I and it, I think it relates to what you've said in, in Penny Royal and what's been said by, you know, like Jacques Vallée and all, all these people about the phenomena wearing many masks and, and so on, you know, like trying to pin it down, it, it, you get absurd results and and i i was thinking about this today too in terms of like the trickster element of of the phenomena right and the fact that the phenomena isn't pan right but there's this resurgence in pan right now and it's not even so much that it's pan it's the the puckish sort of element. it's pan and puck it's the mischief it's the trickster element and it's like in western thought right now Pan is the perfect representation for, you know, Hanson's trickster, right? Or, you know, any time that we talk about the trickster where it's like it and, – and something that we've been working on a lot in terms of our research is this idea that it only reveals itself when it can sort of exist in that liminal area between being real and not real, Um you and you're driving on a back road, you see a UFO, but you're by yourself, right? And and there's no real proof and it can be denied, right? And there'll be these like strange things that happen in in, in real life, but then there's an element of doubt. And it only ever appears it never appears in a moment where it could be proved conclusively, right? Even with all like the Yuri Geller stuff or the Stargate stuff, right? It always sort of manifested in that space between what what was real and like what could be real and what absolutely was not real, right? And if those things are present, then it appears and there's almost like um, it's hiding from, it feels like it's hiding from you. And it also feels like it's always kind of either deceiving you or deceiving everyone else so that no one believes you, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love that because the only way then that you can ever be sure of its existence is to experience it because otherwise you're listening to a crazy story from someone else or or a completely different crazy story from another person and the two don't match up. And it makes me think, and it was one of the questions that we were thinking of, uh, of when we were sort of putting all this together was, is science really the correct way to be to be categorizing these experiences because that is almost the antithesis of the provable result which is necessary for scientific theory right and and you know when i was talking to jack hunter that's something that came up because he i was talking about a lot of this in terms of cybernetics he was talking about it in terms of rhizomatic theory right which gets back into Deleuze and Guattari and more of an organic way that these things happen rather than a a scientific way which I think he 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 was perceiving the the cybernetics but I think um you know I I just read an uh, article did a little piece on um an old 40 and times article by Steve Moore I think it was 1976 um, and it's called notes on uh, Greenwich phenomena and he looks at Greenwich, England, and um, 
it's three parts. He kind of outlines all this weirdness that's happening there. But in the third part of the series of essays, he basically takes a Taoist view and describes all of this phenomena, right, that's happening in that area in terms of yin and yang energies, right? And uh, that there are yin energies beneath the earth, right? And then the yang energies are in the sky. And when they're unbalanced, that's when you get, uh, if there's too much yang energy, then the yin energy tries to compensate and you get mystery animals, right? You get, uh, you know, ghosts, which are sort of tied to cemeteries, which are yin energy. When there's too much yin energy, then Yang tries to compensate, right? And that's when you get UFOs coming out of the sky. You get skyfalls, right? And he relates this all to phenomena that happened in the 1970s in Greenwich, England. Another guy builds on that research and talks about, um, this is Larry Arnold, talks about fire lanes, like L-E-Y-N-E-S, right? Fire lanes. And he says the same thing where it's like, if you look at spontaneous human combustion, they line up on ley lines, right? And so people are, are receiving the, these energies, right? Okay. And so these guys are, this is, the, uh, this was in 40 and times, like 16, 17, and 18, um, or those early ones. But when I was reading this, I thought, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that we study in terms of the mystery and magic sort of, of people in place and how people affect the place, you know, that, that was a, a major part, has always been a major part of Penny Royal. Um, we've used different lenses to talk about it. And for me, it's really become this sort of idea of cryptographic geographies, right? That, that information can be encoded in the landscape. And, and it ties into this whole idea of like the spirit of place, you know? And, um, when I was reading this, you know, I, I love finding these pieces that are specifically focused on landscapes. You know, another one that, that we mentioned in Penny Royal is uh, Paul Devereaux and Andrew York's um, article about the fault area, right? And um, the same thing, you know, they, they explore all this phenomena and they look at it through a certain lens. So it's like these things, the information, the phenomena – the, the things that we need to trace but not really look at, right? The, the information is encoded there, but, but just like with computers, you can use a different compiler to decode it. And so some people will look at the phenomena through a Taoist you know, uh, lens, and he sees one way. You know, we'll, we might look at it through a cybernetic lens, but I think that's, that's the thing is like it exists, and whether you try to use science, I just feel like science is sort of, inept right because it needs absolute values and this is um the, the reality that the world that phenomena in general is a place that that maybe the fact that we've always been told told that we need absolute values is wrong right and, and then that's why quantum mechanics is seems so squirrely to everybody that when you try to you know measure this you can't find this, right? And and so, you know, you get into the uncertainty principle, all of those things that, you know, physicists are like, well, just discount that because that doesn't affect our lives right now, right? But it does affect, you know, and and I think that that's where science fails. But it's just, it, it's not that science fails, it's just being misapplied. And so I think it's another lens that can be used, but there are better lenses, you know. I mean, do you, do you think that science will get there eventually? Or do you think it's just that the 
basically the, the 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 very principle of science is just coming at it from the wrong angle like do you think that one day science and what we might think of as magical thinking might actually come together into a more useful uh interpretation or do you think it's always just going to be a case that science is has got that sort of it's just a different part of the brain and that can't properly explain or engage i've been i've been thinking about this for the last couple of days quite a bit i think um that you know that that people not talking about science but just people tend to want like by and large society people in society want their lives to be simple right they don't want they don't prefer complex lives right and so a lot of the things we're talking about in terms of magic and reality and consciousness are really complex things and i feel like even if science could go there that people wouldn't want to look at it that look wouldn't want to see it right it's not binary is it that's the problem it's not it, it, these things exist in a like hansen says these things exist in a place that is very like it, it's not a or b it's not black or white it's the places in between it's the liminal it's the anti-structure and like you're saying people want a or b they want bad or good they don't want this complicated nuanced yeah it's idea. the shifting shades of gray that mark pilkington talks about isn't it you know like it's yeah, something yeah. that's continually moving yeah absolutely yeah that, that's that's the thing it's like even if science could take us there, people wouldn't accept it, right? Like mm. society wouldn't accept it because like exactly what that's, that's wonderful. Like the, I, yeah, it is, they want black and white, right? They don't want anything else because anything else invites too many questions, right? They'd have to, they'd have to really start questioning themselves, right? Yeah. You know, the ground gets a little, you know, shaky that you're standing on if, if, if things aren't, aren't so contrasted. So, you know, I, I, I do think that science has gotten there at times, right? I, I think, you know, for all the craziness that Hal Pudoff and all the Stargate guys were, were yeah. doing, you know, there was a lot of weird stuff and, and a lot of suspect stuff. Um, I still think that Yuri Geller and and you know everybody that was involved in that, there were weird things that happened, right? And they were studying it scientifically, and they saw it, but then they could never reproduce it because it's that's not the point is to be able to reproduce it, right? It it yeah. sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because it exists in that area where it might work, it might not. Right. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You know, that's what Hansen says, isn't it? He talks about how as soon as you start to as soon as these things start to become structured in terms of the the the, the research into them, um, as soon as it becomes like an institution and there's a lot of people involved, they stop getting the results. They only get the results when it's a, a small thing where there's where, where it's not as structured. So in a way, it's kind of it's always going to be there, like you say, in the peripheral vision. But th that's exactly what the occult is, isn't it? You know, it's these things that by its hidden. very definition, and, and, yeah, exactly. And so I think that you know, ritual magic, chaos magic, all these different forms of magic are a way of not looking directly at it, and therefore being able to interface with it in some small way. That that's why I think there's probably some weirdness in the cryptography side of things, right? Like scientists and governments that are engaged in cryptography and some strange mathematics have probably seen some things that they can't explain. Right. Same thing with like, you know, Facebook and like, I've talked about this in the podcast. It's like 
no doubt in looking at some of this stuff, they've seen some things that they just can't explain. And if they try to explain it, if they try to go deeper and look at it and pin it down, it vanishes. But they saw it, right? They know that it was there, but then it, it slips away. It's like it's the it's the damn lizard man with the tail that comes off in your hand, right? Yeah, when you pick yeah. it up, it just it's it's gone, right? And you're like, well, there was a lizard there, right? tell you a really crazy story that happened to you please do yeah like we we bought this new farm right and um uh and it's it's a very magical place and like i've i've really been engaging with the landscape right and i've never done that before before penny royal i took all these things for granted especially growing up in like appalachia and and mountains right but now here we've got this 60 acre farm and and I've been really engaging in in like what it is, what the place is, the history of the place. And there's this this um hole, like a trash hole that we found down the hill, you know, this weird thing and uh my wife and kids we were hiking through the woods. There's a lot of woods. It's like, you know, 40 acres of woods and rocks and stuff to hike around and the house is right at the top of this this uh knob. And so, um, and, and then I also found it ties into the third season, like all this weird stuff, right. That I've been researching, but we found this hole and and we dug down into it and, uh, the kids were playing and they found, and and I came home and my wife was like, you're going to freak out. I've got to get (laughs) right. So she gives me this bag and it is magnetic tape from a computer from the 1960s, right? And it's hundreds and hundreds of feet of you know how they punch it's the punch the punch tape, right? Yeah. That was being run on a computer and it's been buried on the farm here. Oh and, my god. And, and I was literally we were researching that with the, about the the punch tape and its connection to this banking, these banking files locally that we were trying to get a hold of. And it was like we were literally talking, even in our liminal lodge stuff, right? About punch tape and, and the development of the computer and all this stuff. And all of a sudden she finds this on the farm and there's hundreds and hundreds of spools of it. And now we can't figure out why, where it came from. The guy that built the farm, right? Built the house is like, I didn't put that there. Right? It's not exactly and there's farm a farm material, is it? <laughs> right, and, and there's a there's there's a, a moonshine still in the hole too. Right, where it is is where a moonshine still is. So there's a moonshine still part of a, a truck, and then hundreds of feet of this magnetic punch tape from a computer in the 1960s. So so I found the type of computer, but I can't find anyone any company that used that here in town or who would have owned this farm that had that i'll send you the pictures too because we've been trying to decipher it right because it's mechanical like there are people that have have raspberry pies that they've hacked to be able to run the punch tape through 
to to reverse engineer what the code is and yeah. then run it to see what it is. So I haven't gotten that far yet, but it's like, why would that man like it didn't <sighs> manifest? It wasn't like it wasn't already here, right? But how did I end up here finding that, doing this research, telling these stories, like and it's so personal to me, right? And it's in a fuck it's in a trash hole, right? That's and, insane. That's just I can't, I can't wait for you to be able to read that and actually find out what it what it says and what yeah. it is. I know. I mean, in a minute, I'll grab it. And after we're, after we're done, I'll grab it and I'll show you guys. That it's crazy, yeah. dude. I swear, it's been one of those things that just boggles my mind. But it's like that's that's how this all has been, and I think that is the nature of the experience, whatever we're calling the phenomena. And that's what you know, it's cybernetics, whatever. It's so personal. All of these experiences. And the engagement with this is so personal. And, and, and it, you know, honestly, that's probably why science can't ever get there. Because it's never going to, to take into account the personal experience. Right? Yeah, it's, it's subjectivity, isn't it? You know, it's all yeah. subjectivity and so little of it is objective. And that's the nature of synchronicity, isn't it? In the, it's significant to one person or to a small group of people. It's never going to be... It's like when you try to tell someone else about your synchronicities, you know, unless it's a major one like that, then it's often just like, oh, I saw that person and I'd been thinking yeah, about them or you something. Know. You know, and, and, and everyone else is just like, yeah, so what? But to you, it's something like extremely powerful and significant. My uh, my friend told me, my friend Joe told me a really good synchronicity had, he had um, when I spoke to him at the weekend. He said that he was, uh, so he's a therapist and uh, he'd had, um, for the last week or so, he'd had this intrusive thought in his head. He couldn't stop thinking, which album was it where Aerosmith started getting in? other songwriters to write all the songs <laughs> like you know when Aerosmith started getting like like uh, doing all these big power ballads and stuff and like the yeah. he, he couldn't stop thinking about which uh which uh, Aerosmith, he couldn't get the thought out of his head and then uh he went into his uh his session with his his patient and um he sat his patient down and he said, so how have you been? And the patient was like, oh, I've been really good. I've been listening to loads of Aerosmith and it's been making me feel really good. And he was just like, and I said to him, so I, he told me that story. I said, have you heard the Carl Jung, uh, the Carl Jung Scarab Scarab story? And he's like, no, no. And I sent him that and he was like, whoa, blew his mind. So I'm hoping eventually I'm going to slowly kind of introduce him to stories like this until he's ready to listen to our podcast. I don't think he knows the podcast exists yet, but I'll gradually... I graduate. I'll get him onto Pennyroyal as well. Don't worry. It's, it's, it's all about just grooming people, isn't it? And just slowly initiating them into that world, just like just like it was done to us. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like the Carl Jung too. That made me think of this. That um, and I, I didn't know. You know, we're looking at all this, and Darian's like, uh, "Man, have you ever heard of Ber Bergolzi?" And he tells me the story, and and um, and I, I dig into it. And it's totally a true thing that that. Um, that Young began his career by studying, um, and I, oh God, what was it called? It's he was studying schizophrenia, right? Um, and I forget what the name of schizophrenia was before it was schizophrenia, right? Um, something praxis, but anyway, he uh, he is at this place called Bergolzi, and it's a hospital in I think Austria, and it's the largest concentration of schizophrenics in history. 
like all of the schizophrenic, you know, like just a gigantic number of schizophrenics in Europe were sent to this one place. And it was while he was studying schizophrenia that while he was around these patients, he began to hear them sharing hallucinations, sharing symbols. And they began to like this person talking to this entity, that, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it began to these weird synchronicities emerged and he realized that there was something involved in the, in removing the filter in a, in a way, right. Of, of, of symbolism and seeing all of these symbols and all of these things. And, and that's really where he began to, to devise his system, right. Was because he was seeing that, that there seemed to be a, uh, some type of network, you know, he didn't call it a network, but it was a network connecting all of these people together in this one space, you know? It's, it's crazy because that is, again, to do with disorder, like the disorder of thought, yeah. forming a system within itself, like like a self-organizing system of this is that, that idea that I was telling you about um, of the opposite of entropy, the negentropy thing that, you know, uh, whilst most of the universe is, is like tailing away into increased disorder within pockets, there's, there's ran, and it can be completely random, is, is that increase in 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 organization not complexity but organization you're like almost taking away the background noise and that seems to be almost what was manifesting there you know suddenly within all that disorders thoughts the there's a sharing of information and symbols and so on it's absolutely fascinating isn't it yeah yeah i know that's great that's a great point in terms of the disordered thought right that that it really is uh um man that's fascinating I don't know. There's something to, I mean, definitely when you think about Jung and his connection to this, the idea of like UFOs also, you know, as sort of a manifestation of the, uh, the disordered thinking of the planet, right? As a collective consciousness, you know. There was actually a, a, a meme which I saw the other day, uh, which was a quote from David Bowie about a sighting he had in uh, 1967. And a UFO sighting he had, and he said, I believe that what I saw was not the actual object, but a projection of my own mind trying to make sense of this quantum topological doorway into dimensions beyond our own. It's as if our dimension is but one amongst an infinite number of others. I should have read that in Bowie's voice really soon there, but anyway, yeah, but it's this, so Bowie, Bowie was there all along. He, Bowie, the ultimate trickster figure in a way. Yeah. Uh, was, you know, saying a similar thing, I think, wasn't he there that, you know, where uh, it's almost like it's a, it's a projection and it's the, 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 the something, there's something there or not there. There's, there's something missing or something that there's too much of, or, but we can't explain it. So we just put a sort of a mask on it. What's like the, the nuts and bolts thing, right? You know, Kyle, uh, Cadell that runs the museum here in town, that's a co-producer on the show too. You know, he tells the story of of seeing on his trip from Whitesburg to wherever, which was strange too, because Dan and I, Dan Dutton and I, just recently went back, you know, to to Elkhorn City and and we're trying to finish up the the uh, Fond film, and and so we were on that road. But Kyle had seen a UFO, and it was one of those things where it's like he didn't see it when he went; he had missing time. Right? Suddenly, he was driving, and it was like. He was 10 miles down the road. It was like, whoa, that was dangerous, right? And then thinking <laughs> back, he remembered that he saw this craft, but that it had portholes and bolts, right? And it's like, yeah. 
That's ridiculous, right? But you but, would but not now, need that in space. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. Right? It's like what? But I said to him too. I was like, "Why a porthole?" You know, like Star Trek. They've got viewing. Hell, man, we're looking at each other through cameras right now. I could, I could sync up with my ring camera and look outside. These advanced <laughs> craft that are flying through space don't have you know exterior cameras so you can seal up the craft you got to have a window right and so like that doesn't make any sense whatsoever so it's like why but there's still people still report nuts and bolts uh, it's really UFO. common isn't it the whole thing of having rivets in the outside of yeah. the craft or you say or like windows or like sometimes like a bubble roof you know like with a like yes. glass you know, which is which is like absolutely like you're saying you would not need or want that in space right. but there seems to be shared ideas it's the memes thing again perhaps yeah. you know yeah. the, the, the shared ideas that people are putting onto stuff and that actually reminds me of uh, something that i'd emailed you quickly about today uh, which was about your experience because we had a shared experience divided by many many years and many many miles but would you would you be able to tell that story about what happened to you at the somewhere in appalachia i think you were talking about where you you had a friend who was practicing ritual magic yeah, you know, and, and I grew up in, you know, like I said, in Appalachia. So it was like very religious. My parents were Southern Baptist, you know, free will Baptist. My uh, grandfather was, uh, you know, the fire and brimstone preacher, right? So like every day of my life, I heard, you better hope that you die and go, that, that today is the day you die, so you go straight to heaven. I hope the world ends today. Like every day of my life, I heard someone say, you know what, Nathan? I hope the world ends today. I hope you die, right? <laughs> and then he goes straight to heaven, right? And I always thought, man, this is crazy. This is like a constant, imminent apocalypticism, right? And and it 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 didn't warp me, but definitely I was like, what is wrong with all these people, man? You know, like, and, and so um, so magic was definitely not a thing. It was the devil, right? There was a, it was, <laughs> there was a lot of the devil. It was God yeah. and the devil, Jesus and the devil. And so anything that was uh, contrary thought to Christianity was the devil. You were being influenced by the devil. My parents were fantastic. Weirdly, they let me study anything I wanted, right? And so they bought me books on all sorts of religions because they were like, go out there, look at these other religions, because in the end, you'll come back to Christianity, right? Which didn't happen. And now my mom's like, I should have never given you all those books on all those other religions, right? (laughs) She took a gamble on that. (laughs) Right, right. Didn't work, right? But, um, but But it was fantastic. But anyway, there was never really any pressure. I didn't have to go to church or anything. But I ran with, you know, I played D&D, which, of course, they thought we were in a cult being in eastern Kentucky, right, uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons. But That must have um, been about the time of Satanic Panic as well. Yeah, right? oh, like, dude, yeah. It was exactly. This is like yeah. you know, 1991, 1992, so this is the tail end Satanic Panic stuff. And, uh, of course, they were saying, oh, they're, watch out, Nathan, don't go outside. They're after you know, children. They found a, a beheaded chicken at the church next door, and, of course, it was Satanist, you know, all this stuff. So... The friends of mine that played Dungeons and Dragons, they definitely, because of this, were somewhat reactionary and leaned into the magic element, right? Um, I, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. They were into Lovecraft. They were into the Necronomicon, the f- fake Necronomicon, right? Yeah, it, it and, uh, the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Simonicon or whatever, you know. Uh, um, yeah. But they, you know, they were practicing magic. They were telling me they were doing all these things, and, and there were some weird, weird stories. But anyway. One of my friends, a very close friend, he came over and 
we were we had finished playing some Dungeons and Dragons and it was late and he was telling me about this you know magic and I was like dude if you can perform magic let's go outside my house right now and let's do a ritual in the yard and you show me right I just want to see it right so he goes out there and he stands there and he starts doing some stuff right and saying some things and I'm like and there was another friend with us. It wasn't just us, right? There were three people. And he starts doing this. And I'm like, this is ridiculous, right? What in the world? And he's like, man, I feel some something weird's happening to my feet. I feel like there's energy coming up through the earth. And I was like, God, shut up. Let's go back inside. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I hear this like crashing. At, and we lived in the woods, right? So at the top of this ridge line uh, where these rigging roads are, I just hear a tree fall and everybody react. He reacts and we're watching it. And then you can just hear it coming through the forest. And it's like crash, 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 as if something's knocking over each tree that it comes to. And it's tearing down this hill toward us. Right. And we run inside freaking out. Of course, he won't even, his mom had to come pick him up and he was, I had to walk him down to the bottom of my driveway because he was terrified, right? And he's the one that did it. So, so that, that was the first time it happened. The second time we were with a group of nine people camping and uh, same thing. He was talking all, I can do all these spells. I can do all this stuff. And, I, I, and, and so I was like, do it again, man. Do it again. Let's see if it was really anything. And the exact same thing happened. And there were nine people there camping. I mean, they tore out of there, but at the top of the ridge, it started. And you could hear the sounds of the trees falling, but I couldn't see the trees fall. And, they, and we waited until it was probably 300 feet away, right? And I could hear it, but I didn't see the trees falling, but I could hear the sounds of the crash. So then after all of that happened, there was another night. I was at my house, and that same friend calls me, and he's like, man, there was this nine foot tall black thing in my house just now, right? My mom thought it was me. Like, don't go outside. And I'm like, there's God, you know, what are you, what are you doing, dude? So I, I, my dad was up, I went outside and I was like, if anything is out here, come and get me. Right. And I swear to God, the moment that I said that, 10 feet into the darkness, just, just slightly up on the hill where our house was, back porch. And I hear the most guttural in here. And it wasn't a human. It wasn't anyone trying to scare me. Of course, my dad was like, somebody's out there trying to scare you, son. But I swear to God, it was the most guttural, deep, inhuman growl toward me, man. And I lost my mind. And... It, it's just always been a strange thing. And I just, I don't know. I've never been able to rectify the, the hearing the trees, that sound of that thing. Like, what was it, right? You know, was it, it was elemental? the smoke monster of Lost. <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly what it was. The, what you've described there was perfectly explained in, in uh, I think it was in season four or season five. Uh, have you ever listened to deer? Have you ever listened to deer uh, during mating season? Do you guys have... Uh, deer in yeah we do yeah yeah yeah. i've been there's there's a um place near me uh tatton park where when we've been down in rutting season when they're doing that noise i can't remember what they call it it sounds like mechanical chains and stuff like we had we were camping on on my farm where i I grew up with my my parents and uh my dad my dad was like uh watch out about the deer they're mating. And I was like, okay. So we go out there and we're <laughs> camping and in the middle of the night. The dog goes crazy. And we hear this like, 
and it's like metallic chain. It sounded like the smoke monster, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we went back home. I freaked out. And then finally I realized, oh, yeah, dad said that the, the deer were mating. And there was a male that was blowing at us, right, to try to, to scare us away. But I went back and I pulled up the, the YouTube videos. And it sounds exactly like the smoke monster. Deer <laughs> yeah. That might have been what the sound designers based it on. They might, I wonder, actually, they might have actually uh, used that. Sorry, I realised so, all of my only contribution tonight is to put in <laughs> pop culture references. Like it's, it's lost needed, Aerosmith. It's the it's the yin Keeps and yang. Just relatable. It's the yin and yang of bass. <laughs> but what had interested me about that story, there was there was many many things that interested me. I'll try and do a quick rundown of them now because I've I've told this story on the podcast before, so I, I won't do the full story again. But um, but but, but basically, like, well, first of all, I I, I listened to that. You tell a, a, a version of that story on one of the extended audio, uh, audio bits in in the Patreon for uh, Penny Royal, and I thought I've got to remember this episode because I was driving at the time, and I was thinking I've got to remember this episode. So I checked the date, and the date was my birthday. The date had been released, so I thought well, I'm not going to forget that. So I thought like right, okay, so there's a synchronicity there. I, I'd also been um, like raised in a very sort of like Catholic, um, uh, like and where where I was in. In the north of England, it was a very fire and brimstone kind of Victorian kind of Catholicism. It was in the church that I was raised in and also believed that magic was just the devil, you know, like there was no black or white, no gray area. It was all black and white, you know, like if you mess with this, if you mess with the supernatural, then it's, and, and like, even though I hadn't been a practicing Catholic for 20 years now, that was, that's, that, that thought is still in my head, you know, like even when I'd started practicing chaos magic and that kind of thing. But it was just after I'd started messing with sigils and stuff last year on the solstice, um, and I'd, I'd been, I'd had quite like a stressful time, and and I and I thought, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go because here, um, you know, in the north of England on the solstice day, it, it doesn't get dark until you know ten, eleven at night, you know, and, and even then it doesn't get very dark if if the sky's clear. So I thought I'll go for a, a late night walk in the woods. And when I'm talking about the woods here, it's nothing like the Appalachian Mountains. It's like it's probably half the size of your farm. You know, you've got a few acres of of, of trees out the back you know and that's it but uh but like i mean the point is though that this is the thing is like it's engaging with nature even a small patch of nature is something i think that you can engage with but so i'd gone down i had a sigil with me which i'd activated now I, I thought well, i'll go for a nice walk i'll burn it at sunset and drop it into the canal so i kind of walked down and i had this like euphoric feeling as i was walking through the woods in this long grass and all these rabbits came out and there was, must have been 30 or 40 rabbits just like in front of me um as i walked you know like in kind of parted ways as I came down and I and I had this strange like feeling of like everything shimmering like you know like when you see ripples on water and the sun's directly on them and it starts to reflect like the whole of of the the grass even though the sun was setting the whole of the grass and everything got this sort of shimmering feeling and I had this like re- this feeling that like which sounds weird after what we've talked about today about about pan you know like I thought like to to these creatures like I must be pan this is my thought and then as as I walked down to the canal, I burnt the sigil, dropped the ashes into the canal. And then, and as I turned round, uh, the sun dropped so that it got dark. And there was this suddenly from the patch of woods, the thickest part of the woods, um, you're out to the opposite side of the canal, there was suddenly this guttural screaming, like this sort of like, like 
exactly how you've described it. And I've described it. You can listen back to episode seven of Vase where I tell this story in full, but it's the inhuman guttural roar. And and like at first I thought it was coming from one particular tree, like it was the tree making the sound. And then as I moved towards the tree, which is probably a stupid thing to do, it seemed to almost like back off, like like into the woods that was just further behind. And by this point, I was freaking out, you know, and and um and it was getting darker and darker. Um and so I just kind of turned and like I didn't quite run, but I I didn't go back through the woods. I skipped over the other side of the canal and walked back down. And then as soon as I crossed the canal, like crossing water, you know, um suddenly it all stopped it all went away and everything returned back to normal the panic and the feeling inside me of, of this weirdness had gone and um and suddenly like them um, because it had been so still there was no other people there was after the rabbits had gone and the sunset there was no other animals there's no other creatures and we don't have anything we do have deer but not in those woods um i mean we have deer in this country but we don't have any large animals in this country i mean dog a dog is probably as, as big as it gets um and so there was nothing that could have made that sound except for like maybe a human like like but doing something like but for some reason making that weird roar but your story just reminded me so much of that because that is in the same way as it making no sense and i saw nothing just like you just like you say i i saw nothing no evidence of anyone else and it reminds me of that idea of having the portholes on the ufo you know none of this makes sense in a rational way and yet we have a shared experience divided by miles and years it's just very very weird that's crazy dude i mean that's that's wild what do you think you know the rabbits I've been thinking about this a lot lately because there are a lot of uh, rabbits around the farm and and we've been seeing a lot of rabbits now. This just may be the season for rabbits, right? Um, But then it's like, you know, we got the rabbit cut. Like there's a lot of rabbits, like the desk I have that I write at, I have these two rabbits, right? And uh, that are book holders. And the rabbit came a lot of, you know, very symbolic to me. But I was just thinking, in terms of like uh, what's his uh, McClellan's uh, the the owls right yes that that you know are the rabbits you know when you saw those all of those rabbits was that sort of part of the the liminal experience right of of seeing all of those things. Uh, I'm, I'm sure of it. I mean, the, there's so much about hares and rabbits in in British folklore. Um, I mean, there's that idea. Do, do you remember that story, Buckley, like Granny Bun or something like that? You know, about the old. It's like a, an old kind of folk tale about, uh, like, basically, um, you know, it, I can't even remember the full story, but you know, that there's there's this sort of large rabbit, and um, and you know, there's there's this grandmother who's a bit witchy, and then the rabbit gets injured, like it gets one of its ears pulled off or something, and then the the woman then has a, a corresponding injury you know that sort of idea of like like shape-shifting and and um and that that is very very present and um, hebden bridge as well buckley there's a place yeah. in yorkshire there's a lot of rabbit symbology uh symbolism um around that as well and and it the, the, there's a, a feel of kind of like magic and mystery about it yeah i mean i think rabbits were i think for a lot of people Growing up in the seventies as well, or later, we we grew up in the in the eighties, but like we still were affected by it. We had the whole um, uh, what's it called, Watership Down thing as well. That added like a a layer of like yeah terror to rabbits. That you know, like we if you watch Watership Down as a kid, like you'll never look at rabbits the same way. It's always just like. Yeah, and I've realised yeah. I've just dropped another pop culture reference here. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> great. But check check this out too, though. Like here in Somerset, you know, doing all this research, finding all these crazy stories, and then Somerset High School, the mascot 
of Somerset is the Briar Jumpers, which is a white rabbit. A giant white rabbit. Is it called Frank? No. Another pop culture reference. I know. Yeah. I know. Sorry, I can't resist. They just, they just come. They just, yeah. Weirdly, to, to go into um, some sort of deeper weird stuff. When I go shamanic journeying, sometimes um, I, uh, I, I go to an area where there's a group of rabbits, and there's eight of them. And they all speak as one intelligence. That they're, they're, they're a divided part of the same intelligence. Uh, and I only ever go to them if there's something particularly difficult I need to work out because they're not uh, friendly. Like like, and and they're not like um, they're not cute rabbits either. That they have like a this is weird stuff, but they have like a little like that they they are like. They practice magic, like in in the lower realm. You know, they have a fire and they do rituals. And if I need some, if I need something, I go to them. But they they will only tell like the absolute truth. Whereas I have other spirit animals that kind of dress up a little bit and are a bit softer. If you go to these rabbits, they kind of speak as one thing of, of like like a like like a hive mind um, of of ideas. And it's very very. Weird. Sometimes they speak all together, and sometimes they speak one at a time, but finishing each other's sentences. It's it's a really weird thing but they they are like within my internal sort of cosmology they are one of the deeper layers of uh, like the other in terms of intelligence You guys believe in elementals in, in terms of spirit, like that there are elemental spirits to places, right? They're non-human intelligences. Yeah, um, I think they're so. They're alien intelligences, you know, in a, in a sense. They've never been human, right? And they Like inhabit. the fae, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think a lot of times people, I think, you know, we as humans just anthropomorphize the Fae a lot, right? And and give them these human characteristics. But I think there are these absolutely non-human, what I would call alien intelligence, just in the sense that they're they've never been a human, you know. I think people would say that there's certain demonic entities or negative entities that the same thing, like they've never been it's not a human consciousness, right? It's not not something like that. Um but I I really do I know of some encounters with people uh you know, finding these types of, these intelligences communicating with them in nature um, where they didn't understand them. And it was strange. When I spoke with uh, Dara Mason, um, uh, which did you guys, you guys have talked to him too, right? Uh, Yeah. 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 He he was really, really great. I really enjoyed talking to Dara. You know, he, he, he was telling me about the space he created. Right. And it was very like uh, Findhorn esque, you know, not like, you know, but just in the sense that he had built a space. And when he was within that space, these 
other entities, these other intelligences would interact with him. And it was yeah. all by creating this natural space that he could sort of commune with these entities. And I, I think, I really think there's something to that. Now, you know, again, are those just information structures, right? Are they, you know, s- things that exist in nature that are, you know, conglomerations of symbols and patterns and information? I, I don't know, but. Um, I, I completely think, I, I, what you're just saying there, I, I completely think that that they, I don't know. So, so that I, I believe that they exist as sort of, complex sort of structures of energy and information that is outside of our lineage of evolution you know so forms of complexity perhaps having structures or patterns within it which may repeat so even though they have taken a completely different uh like um structure of evolution you know that they're not sort of bound by carbon and water and all the stuff that we are they they the patterns or structures that form may be regular enough or or repeated enough that that we can in some way communicate with them even though it, it doesn't really make sense to us that, that there's still these un- interacting patterns of complexity it doesn't make a lot of sense but <laughs> no no don't, i think it totally does it's like they're identifiable right yes um, yeah as as intelligence as or or, or something you know like as as if you know, it's it's like the opposite of random. You you see it and you know that it, it is something structured and intelligent and complex rather than it being uh, just something completely random like the wind or something like that, you know. You, you wonder about um, uh, these entities that um, – and, and I had a weird experience too where like – oh, God, when was this? Um, uh, the first time it happened, I was in college and um, – and I was with with uh, uh, with someone, and I, I sort of like suddenly I was in the I was in the kitchen and I was getting a glass of water, and I realized that someone had come in the back door of this house, right? And I looked, and when I looked at the person, he had a, a I guess like a not a striped like a checkered shirt, right? Like a checkered shirt on. Um, and uh, I couldn't see the guy's face, right? When I looked, the face was completely gone. There was no identifiable features. And I remember thinking in that moment, I was like, holy shit, I'm, I'm dreaming, right? And I felt this uh, malevolence from it. And then I realized I was not walking. I was floating, right? And so then I like shifted my perspective and then went down the stairs and um, and this was actually with my, my first wife. And uh, and so we were early in college, you know, and I like went down the stairs and I saw her uh, flailing in bed, right? And she was having this nightmare and I like saw myself in bed beside her. And I looked back, my perspective changed. And this person this thing was walking down the stairs right and it had this checkered shirt on and uh like a flannel shirt it looks sort of like a checkered flannel shirt and it's walking down the stairs and i'm like i have to get back in my body and as soon as i did i shot up and she was flailing having a nightmare right and i was like what is going on well four years later we're in a totally different apartment 
together. And I'm in the kitchen getting a drink of water. And I start to walk back toward the bedroom. And I look down the hallway. And this same checkered shirt flannel person that I can't, the face was just unidentifiable shifting. I see it and I hear in my head the words twice. Twice is no coincidence, right? And then I like freak out because I realize I'm dreaming in and I like fly into the bedroom and there she is having this nightmare. I see my body beside her and then I hit my body, jump up and then wake her up, right? And I've always wondered what that was, but she had uh, come to the U.S. from Bosnia and she had been an interpreter for the U.N. during the war and experienced all kinds of crazy stuff, had been hit with a grenade and like had had like a very traumatic experience during the war in Bosnia, right? And and I always wondered if that thing that th- was was drawing energy somehow from her or was somehow attached to her. But again, it's like the idea of looking at something with no face it it's not identifiable there's no repeating pattern i guess is where i'm going with this right is that that you know are there some of these things that that the what does it tell us about these entities when they're when they don't have any identities when they when they are somewhat uh chaos or you know was it preventing me from seeing its face or do these some of these things truly not have forms right yeah yeah recognizably not human Right, right. But then, you know, there's the research into the flannel man. uh, Yes. That Strange Familiars knows, right? And the checkered shirts. I told uh, him that story. And and, because it's like other people have those stories of those entities. So it's like, is that the same thing? Or is there a category of beings, entities, structures, you know, that, that somehow interact with us in this this sort of liminal state. I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those weird things. But when you were saying that about identifiable parts, that some things are, and then there are these other things that seem to defy being identified or having, you know. But at the same time, the symbolism of that flannel shirt figure of having the checkered shirt, which is a repeating pattern, but the face isn't a pattern, right? And you wonder, because like with flannel flannel shirts, that's that's very much like a... A kind of American thing, isn't it? In terms of a lot more so than any other country, it's something that you associate with, say, lumberjacks or later on, nineties grunge. And uh, you wonder, like, if Nathan Paul Isaac was raised in the UK, would he have seen someone with a flannel shirt, or would he have seen someone with uh, something that was associated with Britain? You know, you wonder kind of how much how much input the person has on what they see, you know. It's like, that's that's kind of what I was saying with that David Bowie thing, which actually leads me to something I've, I've been thinking just based on, on, on the things that you two have both been saying. So, Nathan, you've obviously had a number of pretty weird experiences. Um, Hein, yeah. <laughs> you've had one or two, three or yeah. four maybe. I've had barely any, aside from one of the stories I told in one of the early episodes that was basically a series of synchronicities that felt like um, there was some higher power at work. Uh, But aside from that, I've not seen anything or really experienced anything like that. Why, Nathan, do you think it is that there are some people who who see a lot of stuff and there are some people who don't see any of it? What do you think it is? Do you think there's something different uh, what, what what do you think explains that 
I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've always, I mean, I have always wondered that. Like, I, I, I don't know. Um, I won't be offended, you know, if you say. No, no, it's, I'm just, it's, I'm because, just... <laughs> it's because the people who don't see anything are worse. Um, no, I mean, no, no. I mean, one of the things that, um, one of the things that, that Hansen, going back to Hansen again, because it's very much in my, I, I did read it, uh, the, uh, the trickster in the paranormal a few weeks ago. And, he talks a lot about obviously the anti-structure, the liminal thing being the, the, the sort of space where these things operate and these situations happen. Um, and you just wonder sort of, is it because my life is very structured? Is there so much structure happening in my life and in my routines that I almost, almost aren't allowing that to come you, in? You are the most structured person that I know. Uh, the, the other thing that I wondered was that Nathan and I both um, had that religious upbringing. Which I didn't. Um, and and I, I, I was always expecting to see something, you know, like, or, yeah. or, 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 or I was always very accepting, I guess, of there being greater powers or, or invisible forces. And I, I guess that you were, the certainly from what you were saying about people saying that, you know, I hope that today's the day you die or whatever. Right, yeah. You know, like the, 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 there's very, very much an other realm there. Yeah, did, whereas did I, you, I didn't have any of that. Yeah, so you didn't, you didn't grow up with any type of like, people telling you that there were like devils or demons Nothing after like you that. or anything like that. Like did, uh, I mean, is your life extremely, have, has it always been extremely ordered? Um, I can't remember as far as my, I started noticing it like, uh, more so in the last 10, 15 years, but it probably always was. Uh, I think it, obviously it becomes more ordered when you're an adult and you, uh, because you're your autonomy in, don't you yeah because you're in control so obviously but it was probably i was probably already looking for that order perhaps or or had a degree of order there anyway but um it just makes you wonder whether sort of if i was to suddenly just go you know off script so to speak and just um you know, suddenly just take off and do something that was completely random that 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 I would not normally do that was completely outside of my routine, then I would perhaps experience something weird because I was finally allowing that to happen. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. Well, have speculation, you, I mean, isn't it? This is very personal, but you don't have to answer this. But, but like, I mean, have you had anything extremely traumatic happen to you? Um, um yeah so when i was a child i when i was maybe five or six um i was on holiday uh with my parents and uh another child uh that i was supposedly friends with uh that i made friends with on the holiday pushed me in the pool and I, I didn't have my armbands on and i nearly drowned so i i uh i i remember like bobbing up and down i remember trying to shout help i couldn't i couldn't float i remember trying to grab to the sides of the pool and it was it was like slippy and i couldn't and then i went down to the bottom and then i saw a man jump in it was a regular human it wasn't you know the dark man or anything a man jumped in pulled me out of the water uh and uh like all the water came out of my lungs and stuff and like but I, i i nearly died but it wasn't that's probably the only significant kind of life-threatening trauma that I had. I mean, I've had dozens of like mental traumas, but that was the only one that was like a, you know, a significant, what I would think of as being something which, uh, 
yeah, yeah. brought me close to death, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, uh, like something we've been looking at recently too is like the connection between uh, people experiencing the uncanny or strange, you know, or the paranormal in the wake of trauma or a traumatic experience. As uh, you know, does trauma open you up, you know, personally to uh, to sort of these. Um, you know, these experiences, you know, these are the, these extraordinary experiences, I guess. I don't know. I don't know, man. I wonder, I wonder if the order thing is, you know, but, but maybe, maybe it's just hasn't happened yet. You know, we always think, you know, in time, in terms of time, you may have more experiences than both of us combined for the rest of your life. Yeah. I'm still young. You know? It might start. It, it <laughs> yeah. might start. It's, um, yeah. I mean, this, the trauma thing is interesting and it's like, um, it kind of makes sense. But then again, like you say, the whole nature of this thing is that the way it works can't be tested and doesn't follow a set, Yeah, you know? So maybe it was a stupid question. <laughs> no, no. Because, yeah, like, I, I, I did want to circle back too to what you were saying about, you know, the, uh, the flannel shirt and being, and seeing like, if I was in you know England, would I, would I see that? Right. Um, but I, I was thinking about this too, in terms of pan, right. Do people that that have this concept of the trickster in other places, in you know, say Japan or China, you know, what I'm saying like you know, Eastern thought is the trickster. It's not Pan, right? Why would it be a, a Western Greek, you know, deity? Um, they must the the way that this the trickster and I mean, of course, they have the fox, right? And uh, and and those the fox spirits, but I don't know, man. I, I, I definitely, I think. I think our perception is shaped by our paradigm, right? But, but I don't know, man. That's that's. It's. I've always wondered why some people experience things and some people don't. I feel like, even though I've had the experiences that we talked about, I haven't had any. Like, I've been abducted. I think you know what I mean, or like I, I don't know. You know, I've had some like weird experiences, but it's like, it's I. It, there's always been an element where it could be denied, right? I didn't see any trees fall. I didn't see anything scream at me, you know, like I, was that just a dream that I had, you know, about seeing the guy. So it's like, it's never, there's no way to prove any of it. And it's such a personal experience, deeply personal, you know? Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting that you've never had anything like you've never seen or felt no, weird. or I, anything. I've been interested in it for a long time. I mean, we, me and Hein met when we were probably about 10 years old. And the first thing we did was go hunting ghosts. That was how we got together. I think that was one, one of the reasons that we loved Hellier so much was because it was like, oh yeah, these guys, you know, they're sort of similar to us, you know, we related to that kind of, uh, you know, overgrown 10 year old boy kind of vibe. Um, but, you know, it's something that on and off, I've always been interested in, I've always, even prior to starting doing face, you know, I, 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 the, the books I read tended towards like sci-fi, horror, supernatural sort of things, you know, the, the same with like films, TV, whatever, you know, I always kind of preferred things that were a but bit like you that. Have had, you have had sigils that have worked though, so you've done magic. I've had sigils that have worked, yes, that's true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I, you see, I, because I've forgotten them. Well, yeah, of course you got because the sigil worked. So yeah, um, yeah, because <laughs> I did the sigil to forget the forget the sigils, so I didn't remember them for this podcast. So <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, so I mean, you've done magic, which is yeah. which is something, isn't it? I, I believe mean, I have. Yeah, um, yeah. it's like uh, I don't know, I don't know. Mm. 
And that's sometimes okay, isn't it, just to not know. Not that I have a, uh, I've anything against magic, but I've always had like a weird, like, I just shouldn't invite any more <laughs> weird, weird shit to happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like you just, I just don't need to do any rituals, you know, or, yeah. or, you know, things are strange enough. So I don't know. I, I've, I, but I also chalk that up to my own upbringing. Right. Yeah. And, and even though I don't think it's, you know, I don't equate magic with the devil. I still have these weird anxieties about things where yeah. it, it, it's just, I can't get away from it. You know, you 18 years of, of, of hearing people tell you this stuff. It's hard to break that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I had such a difficult time when I was getting into this stuff. I mean, I was getting panic attacks, you know, like I was full on you, especially when I was uh, starting to read about this stuff, starting to try a few sigils. It, it was, it's, it's that level of indoctrination, you know, and, and that level of, of, um, like you're saying, just having you know, 18, like, I mean, I was 21 when I stopped practicing as a Catholic. And so that's tw- 21 years, basically, of, of people telling you that, you know, that this is the, the devil's work, that, that you know, that, you know, that bad things will happen. And it's, it's, it's really difficult to break out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, even, even like on a, someone who wasn't raised religiously, like I, I remember my dad telling me that, never to try a Ouija board because they they mess you up and like he said this from the point of view of a someone who was a you know a psychiatric nurse rather than a a, a religious man or whatever from a mental point of view and I asked him why and he said he didn't know and he couldn't explain why but it just it it can do things to people that uh you know and that's it's, it's it's kind of in the culture as well I mean it's probably not as much now but certainly when we were growing up mid eight mid to late eighties, early nineties, it was still very much a thing. You know, there there was tons of, of films and books where there was, you know, don't dabble with magic and, you know, there was always stories, wasn't there, when we were at school about someone had a, had a, had the ne- Necronomicon and had done something and stuff and you'd hear stories about people and, you know, um I know that the the person I knew that was the most into the occult when I was at school, um, became very ill. Like, you know, he, 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 uh, he was also very, very religious. Um, and he became very mentally ill. Um, like he, he ended up sort of, it turned out that he had, uh, sort of very serious schizophrenia and he had to be hospitalized and stuff. And it's like, stuff like that just stays with you. You know, you just think like, even, even from, even kind of back then when I was a lot more atheist, I guess, um, a lot less open-minded than I am now, I still couldn't help but think 
it's something to do with this stuff that he's been looking into, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's the whole also, you know, Chapel Perilous, right? You know, yeah. that, that if you if you start to start to go down this path, right? You start to look at these things, how can you how can you keep your mind safe and or your body, you know, your spirit, you know, like it, it's something gonna happen to you. Um, you know, I've always thought too that I mean, you could drive yourself crazy looking at this stuff, right? If if I didn't have a family, you know, I work like 50 hours a week, you know, I've got a job where I'm, you know, I'm working like 10 hours a day. <laughs> and, and, you know, that takes up a lot of time. You know, this for me has always been sort of a, the stress reliever, right? The anti-anxiety is the curiosity and, and being able to spend it on researching these things and diving into these things. But, you know, I have wondered, you know, like if I didn't, and I think anybody that that is engaging with these types of mysteries, and when I say mysteries, really personal mysteries, right? I think you have to keep one foot planted in the world of the living. I mean, truly of society, right? You can't just go off and start chasing this stuff. You know, you got to have a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, yeah. you need a job. You need to, yeah. to a, you know, you don't have to have a family, but a support network, right? A family, a community, people that care about you because you can go so deep into this because it is a weird maze. You know, it is a weird labyrinth of, personal you know i mean it's easy to get lost in yourself right yeah um and and so like i think there is a danger in pursuing this type of personal development and external sort of mystery searching um that that you have to be cautious about and just and just sort of be be aware that like you can you still always have to come back right yeah i was having the exact same thought today the the exact same thought because i was thinking you know like you know, like you have those days when you think like, oh, work's really getting in the way of being able to do something for the podcast or whatever. But then the reverse of it is that is what keeps you grounded. That is what keeps you in that. And it comes down to Hansen's ideas about the anti-structure as well. That is that is the structure that yeah. is stopping you from slipping into that, those sort of liminal parts, you know, or, or becoming uh, you know, one of those sorts of marginalized people who, that will live outside of society um, who these things can take over more fully yeah yeah and, and you're and, you know you don't want to give yourself over i guess you know in, in many ways you know it's like um and, and i don't know i mean i don't think I, I don't think that the phenomena and reality itself is malicious right i think you know even when people interact with negative entities i think there's an element there where they're they're infusing some of that negativity right i don't i don't know if i i really think that there are completely evil beings with you know bat wings flying around you know trying to mess people up. i don't know you know i mean th this is something recently we talked about too um uh, prompted by speaking with jack hunter right he was talking about his original ethnographic studies of uh, mediumship and the spiritualist churches, right? And he was looking at that, and I think he had said that he had noticed that that some of the identities of the entities had moved to different churches, right? As if there was like a network, and that these things existed outside of the people that that were you know channeling them, 
but could actually pop up somewhere else. These two Chandlers never met each other, but that same Bob, right, with that same story pops up in another Chandler 300 miles away, right? And he was going to all these places too. And and so I was thinking about um, that idea, right, of, of those things moving. And Darian had brought up the demons and the demonologists uh, in like the medieval ages, right, that they had brought, they, there were certain ones that, that were that knew particular demons, right? And and those demons, like you called that guy in, but the same thing. It's like these. There were these entities that were moving along networks, but the networks were established by the carriers, right? And and so so then it's like, are these actually external beings that <laughs> that are uh, autonomous, right? Or are they somehow tied to? The network of the within the network of people that are all interacting with each, with each other, and that somehow they're taking on characteristics. I don't know. You know, I, I don't want to say like that. memes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, like yeah, the way yeah. it propagates. That's like the the whole. You know, we've been looking at cattle mutilations, right? And uh, man, I've gotten. I've did FOIA requests to 21 different states. I have this vast horde of documents on uh, cattle mutilations, right? But what I did find out was that the repeated story that there were like 10,000 cattle mutilations, there weren't. And it was like, there's this cattle mutilation meme and this belief, right? And then the dude that was the main reporter on cattle mutilations, right, that most of the stories come from, vanished because he was going to be killed for what he knew, well, he surfed. There were still people. I read an interview where someone was like, "Yeah, man, he got too close and they killed him." <laughs> I, I started. I started digging into it. The dude surfaced fifteen years later with another family, and it was his third family. He was a con artist, and he and he ended up having four families, four different careers, and like this, he was this crazy figure. And it's like that's the guy who was on his second of four families who helped spread the meme of cattle mutilations. Like, you know, not to say that there weren't weird things. going, on. And we found some deeper things that were weirder, but it wasn't connected to aliens, right? It was connected to what I think is way more fascinating, but it's, you know, people with two legs and specific group of people, right? And like, and so we're doing a separate project on that, but it's like that infected so many people and then drove the satanic panic, you know, all of the animal yeah. mutilation stuff just fed into that in the eighties. You know, I mean, it's it's always been the two have always seem to have gone hand in hand, don't they? The 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 sort of um, the kind of prankster hoaxing type thing yes. and yeah. the actual phenomenon itself. And it's like th- there are times where the, the 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 lines kind of become blurred, and I think that that's always really interesting. Just sort of um, it's something that we're sort of going to be looking into more on on future episodes. Is just these areas where you know something will start out as a hoax and then after a while it actually turns into like a genuine thing um and it starts to feed into like popular culture and then things start to happen and and it's like that that is absolutely fascinating that that can happen but it happens a lot apparently it's just like all those stories that greenfield tells about mosley and barker you know and yeah the the uh the wanaki um reservoir and all the rest of it you know this it's all hoaxes that become something real it's really really strange the way they feed into each other but it fits with what nathan was saying it fits with nathan's idea of the cybernetics doesn't it like 
exactly all the feedback loops yeah yeah totally and you know that's so we talk about this in the third season uh, i was i interviewed some folklorists about ostension have you ever heard of I, this is one of those things where i was like what's ostension right yeah it's, i've not heard of that so in folklore and and there are all these journal articles from the like 70s and 80s and 90s about this right that uh folklorists they talk about legend tripping and you know legends and folklore yeah. and so it's something that didn't happen that didn't exist but people know the legends and the stories so they act it out and it becomes a reality through ostension of something that never existed right so it's like there's a belief that this thing happens and it never has someone told that story but then you know, it's like the kids that go and paint the Satanist symbols and do the magical rituals in a place that supposedly Satanists were at, right? Suddenly they become the Satanists in the place because they're enacting their rituals, right? Um, we, uh, I, I worked on a TV show writing a, a three episodes for the History Channel uh, of a show called Dark Marvels. It's coming out Monday, too. This is coming Monday. Oh, there but, we go. Uh, but we'll link wanted, to that. But, but they wanted, like, all these weird, like... Um, uh, uh, stories, you know, about dark things. And one of the things I covered was, uh, it was like sports, right? Dark sports. So, so I was like, well, we should, we should do Russian roulette. And they were like, oh, I don't know if we can show the Russian roulette story, <laughs> but I still had to prep it and, and pitch it to them. Right. And so when I did, I found out that Russian roulette never existed. It was purely based on a fictional story that a guy wrote in the thirties lying that he was in Russia and he was never in the war. Nothing ever happened. He invented the entire story. But once he wrote the story, it got incorporated into popular culture and then spread. And then more and more people died. And now over a thousand people die a year from playing Russian roulette. Yeah. That was never a real <laughs> That's thing. Whoa. I, knew yeah. that, I knew that people were stupid, but I didn't realize they were that stupid. <laughs> yeah, dude. So think about that. You know, think about how it spreads. So it's easy to to look at something that seems innocuous, especially some of these like paranormal stories or these concepts. You yeah. know, and then it and it grows and grows and snowballs. You know, and manifests in in real actions by real people. You know, that kind of almost brings it back to QAnon, doesn't it? And Trump, and you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. Don't want to go there. I was thinking of like the golden bow as well, you know, and and the uh, the, the kill the king idea is that you talk yeah. about in season one. You know, you, they're enacting this sort of mythological role, but within a, a kind of modern framework. You know, that's weird too. You know, uh, the Downard stuff. I thought Downard came up with that, or you know, Hoffman and those guys. And it turned out the John Birch Society in their publication, um, I forget what it's called, American, I can't think of the name of it. Anyway, um, there was a guy named Medford Evans who was a John Bircher, and he, after the Kennedy assassination, it was right after the Kennedy assassination, he's the one that actually proposed that it was a killing of the King ritual. And then Downard was reading these John Birch Society. <laughs> and now I wonder if he was a John Bircher, you know, uh, and which was an ultra right-wing group. And, and, and a lot of when I, then I started buying 
the old John Birch magazines. And my wife is like, you've got to stop spending our money on these <laughs> 1960s right-wing propaganda things. She's just like, Nathan, I bought a bunch of photos of these right-wing propaganda things to use. And they're like historical photos from this, this, this place. And uh, she's like, why do you keep having this stuff sent to our house, man? Like, yeah. this, is, this is bad, you know? But, but I've been looking at it, and there's all kinds of esoteric ideas that they were pushing in the 1960s and 1970s that are now part of the communities that we're all a part of, that, that are just like the black yeah. helicopter, right? And the connection of the black helicopter to cattle mutilations, to all those things, it first appeared in the John Birch Society magazine. They're the ones in 1963 who created the concept of the black helicopter, and they were tying it to the UN being taken over by communists. And but now it's a part of the UFO, you know, community. It's part of the whole cattle mutilation thing. But it all goes back to these ultra right wing fascists, basically, uh, yeah. you know, saying it's the UN and they're coming for your guns. And that was 60 <laughs> years ago, and none of them have had a gun taken away. <laughs> Which is a shame. I mean, it was, it's something that I, I know. One of the things I noticed about Penny Royal was that you were you were very clear and one of the things i loved about it was you're very clear from the get-go that you hate nazis and like that was that was very (laughs) much one of the things that we when we first came into this we were like right we need to make sure we don't attract the wrong kind of people because we know that there's we know there's a a bad element out there Uh, (laughs) we felt it was important to say in the first episode of ace that we also hate nazis and then we get it out there you know so that it'll stop anyone else in the in their tracks nail our colors to the mast Exactly. And just in I've case anyone's wondering, we hate Nazis still. <laughs> yeah. Nothing's changed. Well, a lot's changed since that first episode, but not that. No. <laughs> You're still anti-Nazi. Yeah. Still, <laughs> All, yeah. I've got a lot of one-star ratings on Penny Roll, and it's the, the people there like, this is way yeah. too political, man. There's no politics in the paranormal, you know, <laughs> this, this whole thing. But, you know, one of the, I mean, like, for me, something that was hugely inspirational was the Hookland series. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and like, the, because it's a real thing. Fascists try to seize the folklore, right? Yeah. And they try yeah. to make everyone think there was a golden age before immigrants, Jews, whatever the list of things are that they hate, right? And they're like, remember before those people were around? We all lived in a perfect golden age. If we could go back there... And like growing up in, and this is why I think Twin Peaks is is an important thing because that's what David Lynch was showing was that that people like they Americans especially want to believe that post World War II there was a golden age right when everything was perfect and but really that was a time of racial tension you know like there was all kinds of injustice but still there's this like belief that white picket fences in this perfect pristine world where there wasn't all of this social, you know, why are, why are we, we uh, criticizing people and all these things? And, and it's like, that's what the, these fascists have always tried to snare the folklore and then say, that's why, that's why you're with us because we both believe in this perfect idyllic time. And, um, and Hookland I think is just such a powerful piece of, art and and creativity and work 
that that really tries to to fight that right and i think yeah. he's been yeah. very clear that that's what he's doing you know um, we have that i mean you know you, you're talking about it in the context of the u.s but i mean brexit was that was how they swung that and then you had the parties the bmp you kept you know that very much traded on that idea that there was this golden age that that was just out of our reach you know and it's 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 absolute nonsense as well you know it's it, it's very powerful though it created an egregore called Captain Tom as well. They had like a mascot? Like... Yeah, well, no, it was like this old man and they, it, it, it was during um, during the COVID lockdown, this old man like walked around his garden a lot of times and yeah, people became really obsessed with him. Like similar to Princess Diana, people, people are just yeah. fucked up, man. He was, he was doing it so he walked around his garden for charity but it turned out that some of the money I, I allegedly was I, I don't know the full I don't want to I don't wanna make any sort of false accusations but a, a lot of that money was was misappropriated it was being siphoned uh, off into his daughter's lavish lifestyle apparently so, allegedly so we're told um, but yeah that's just that kind of sums it all up really it's just like um, you know the whole thing is fucked but I think on the on the uh, on the flip side to that, the whole thing is fucked. But I think that things like Penny Royal are working towards unfucking it, and I think that that's you know it's certainly um, it, it's changed our lives in terms of it's it's changed how we think and it's it's kind of opened us up to different things. It's um, I mean we've been friends for a long time, but it's really like kind of improved our friendship hasn't it like it's like just just through like doing vase and stuff but then what something that we've noticed that's really nice is that we've got like a little community on discord which people can join by the way um uh, the link will be in the show notes and we're noticing within that little community uh nice things starting to happen you know and there's 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 some stuff in there that's really sweet and there's 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 people helping each other out with like tarot readings and stuff and like advice and 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 you know lending each other books and stuff like that and it's it's, it's quite beautiful really and you just think that just came from penny royal we're just like a little offshoot a little mushroom offshoot and i bet there's loads of them i bet there's loads of other people that have been affected in that way and it's created like a a, a positive change in the world which i think is a is a really beautiful thing so yeah thank you yeah <laughs> thank, man, thank you for saying that because I, I swear i mean it's like i don't know to hear that sometimes i'm like ah should i even keep doing this you know yes you should please <laughs> you know, please, please do please do <laughs> for god's sake so but, that, that but, brings us up to like the the sort of i suppose we should we should start to, to wrap it up uh, and i we've taken yeah. a lot of your time and, and we're really oh. grateful for for you for, for spending this time with us um so i i guess um for our listeners, if you could say where they can find your work, where they can find Penny Royal, when season three might be coming out and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah. So uh, we've got, uh, you know, we're on Spotify and Apple and all the, all the podcast platforms. I'm I'm getting ready to upload everything to YouTube. I made videos like, you know, just like some, some reactive videos to the audio, but I just, one of those things I, I didn't have it out, but I'm going to put it on YouTube as well. But yeah, check us out on all the platforms. Um, our main sort of place that 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 we're in real time doing all this research and interacting with everybody that you can see what we're looking at for season three uh, is Patreon uh, with the Liminal Lodge and um, all the extended audio. There's like hundreds of hours of live. Yeah, I recommend that. It's stuff. great. Yeah, it's great. Really good. Um, 
So there's a lot of stuff there, but yeah, you can find us there. And then the the current release date, if everything goes off without a hitch, you know, like still a working stiff. So, you know, a lot of the stuff is not <laughs> yeah. out of work, but um, J- January the 15th of uh, 2024 wow. is when I'm hoping to, to, I've got a few more interviews I want to get done by September and then I'll do the final uh, editing and everything. So I think people will really enjoy it. Um, there's a lot of stuff in, uh, which I'll tell you guys real quick after we get off here, but there's some stuff in there that I really didn't realize was going to happen. And it is like, it's like it, it, I I didn't see it all going this way or that we would find these things. And so, um, so that's been strange again. It's like, it's, it's it, for me, it's just been such a weird personal journey, you know? And, and I just, you don't know how much it means to know that like, that that it has inspired you guys and that that people are that are having a journey themselves you know and i don't know i just think that we should do that for each other everybody should do that you know tell each other stories and and relate to each other because the fucking nazis don't want us to (laughs) (laughs) amazing brilliant well thanks very much and the listeners out there um want to find more vase um you can find us on twitter or instagram where at vase and then vase spelt backwards so that's at v-a-y-s-e-e-s-y-a-v you can get us at uh, www.vase.co.uk which is our website where you'll get the all of our audio and the full show notes um you can email us on vaseinfo at gmail.com we'd love to hear from anyone who uh, wants to send us their own experiences or any recommendations for books or documentaries or films or tv series or music or anything really um we talk about this a lot but the band camp you can get our uh, soundtrack uh, that uh, buckley has done himself and all that money goes back into the podcast and you can get us on ko-fi i think they call it ko-fi i'm, I'm going to settle on ko-fi and I, just reckon call it that coffee. I reckon coffee. it's coffee i reckon it's coffee i don't know well, you, you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi and it's um and you can get the link of that from our twitter or our website and that's basically uh, everything we do is free but if you feel like you have the cash to give us uh then give us any any amount you want and if you do a monthly subscription you, you can have access to our discord server as well I have one last question for you, Nathan Paul Isaac. Yeah. Who's your favorite Ghostbuster? Egon. It's Egon. Egon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All the research. I love, I love, you know why? You know why? I, I love the cartoon, right? I love yeah, the cartoon. Yeah, the real Ghostbusters. And the, the real, yeah, the real Ghostbusters. And the book that had, um, is it Tobin's Spirit Guide? Yes. That yeah. had all of the, it was like, you know, any high strangeness thing, he had an entry. And yeah. I was like, man, someday I want Tobin's spirit guide, right? And I guess that's what Penny Roll's been, man, me just building. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs>